Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. God tells Adam in Genesis 3.19 that, For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This verse is quoted a lot, especially at funerals. But how often do we really stop to think about the fact that our physical bodies are no more than so much clay clumped together? Our eternal selves reside within these clay jars that don't last very long. That inner self is the focus of Pastor David Cartwright's message this week. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, Paul's uh, letter to Corinth. We'll read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from verses 5, 5 through 18. Hear now God's word. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, in these moments, help our hearts, our minds, our ears to be still and open and attentive to you. I pray, God, that it is your voice that is heard today. It is your truth that is received And I pray, God, in your mercy, that anything that is not of your truth would be quickly forgotten. Father, lead me, 
Give me grace by your spirit to speak words of your truth, to speak them in simplicity with your power so that you accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive and experience, we give only to you the praise and glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Imagine, if you would, that you are a curator of a museum. Can you follow me that far? And imagine, if you would, that in your museum, your premier exhibit right now is a, is a beautiful, precious gem that has been discovered and is, has been granted to you to display. And that you have taken that gem and you have found this uh, beautiful glass presentation case in which to display it. And imagine, if you would, that as your guests come into your museum and as they behold the display, that you are standing nearby to listen to them comment to one another. And imagine, if you would, that what you hear is them one after another commenting about how beautiful the display case is. What would you think? What would you be tempted to say? My guess is that you would want to break into their conversation and say, what's wrong with you people? It's the gym! Not the display case, it's the gym, not the jar. Behold that which is truly valuable and beautiful. You see, we, we, uh, we make serious mistakes as kingdom people when we get our values out of order. We have a tendency to attribute more value to things than we should. And that in itself is a problem. And we do the same thing on a, on a personal level. We sometimes look either at ourselves or we look at other people around us and we attribute too much importance and value to them. And please don't hear me suggesting that, uh, that, that, we, uh, that any of us are of, of little value or less value. I'm not, that, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I do want you to understand is that there's a powerful message that Paul relates to the church in Corinth. And it's also a message that is powerfully relevant for any of us living today. Uh, today and for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at some passages through this letter of 2 Corinthians. Um, I'll, I'll say a little bit more about this letter in itself in a moment. I'm mindful of, uh, I, you've probably picked up by now that I've long been a, a listener of, of Chuck Swindoll's teaching. I just, I enjoy listening to his, his teaching and reading his books. And I can remember years and years ago before he came to Texas that he was pastoring a church in California. And during those years, he would frequently refer to the New Testament letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians as 1st and 2nd Californians simply as a way of saying that the letter really does apply to the here and the now. 
And that's not really something that says that there's something about Californians that, are, that, that makes them especially worthy of these words. We could just as easily call these letters first and second Texans. But that doesn't have quite the ring to it, doesn't it? So what I'm saying is that this letter really speaks to us. And 2 Corinthians especially is a book born out of a lot of pain. It's a, it's a book, it's a letter written out of a, a stressed relationship between the congregation and the Apostle Paul. And maybe it's helpful for us to just remember that uh, the, the Corinthian people were uh, very highly enculturated. They, they were very religious people, uh, a very strong society in which they lived. Uh, you know, they, they were a happening place. And they had a tendency to look for things like the world looks. And some of the reaction of the Corinthian church toward Paul as a person and as apostle was um, unkind. They, 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 they had a way of looking down upon Paul. They, they said to one another, oh, he, you know, he writes really big, but... You know, he's not impressive. He, he doesn't look impressive. He doesn't speak impressively. Uh, you know, they were looking to be impressed, but Paul didn't bring that for them. And so there was a large contingent of the Corinthian believers who really were questioning Paul's apostleship. And so a lot of what Paul writes is kind of defending the reality that he really is called of and set apart, set apart by, ordained by God for this ministry. But at the same time, he deflects the attention away from himself because it is always toward Christ. Paul begins this, this passage that we read, picking up in verse 5, and he makes it so clear to them by beginning and, and saying, "...we do not preach ourselves." but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bond servants for your sake. He, he takes the role of the diminished servant only for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. See, for Paul, there is a message and there is a purpose. And those are the only thing that matter. Nothing else matters. Personal credit... Nothing else matters. The only thing that matters for Paul is that the gospel is preached and the kingdom purpose is accomplished. If those things happen, Paul is delighted. If those things don't happen, Paul wants to know what is hindering it. And what he finds in the Corinthian church is that the purpose is being hindered because the Corinthian believers are caught up in worldly thinking and misplaced priorities. And that is exactly what he's going to address here. When he gets down to verse 7, there's this beautiful image that so many of you have heard more than once before. Your translation of the Bible may use the phrase a little bit differently. Mine says earthen vessels, but uh, some may say jars of clay uh, or, or something like that. Paul says in verse 7, but we have this treasure... What is the treasure? Can you tell me? It, it's, you could say it's the gospel or it's Christ. It's probably thinking more of the message here. Either one would be true. 
But we have this, this treasure, this valuable thing, this gem, and we put it in what? A, a, a common, nondescript, unexceptional jar of clay. Why? Well, don't look at me. The answer is in your book. Finish reading verse 7. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Paul wants to make sure that, that people are seeing the value where the value really is. If, if people are looking to be impressed by the speaker, they've missed the real beauty. They've missed the purpose. They've missed the thing that's really of value, which is Christ. That's why God chooses to put the thing that is of great value in a vessel that is common and non-exceptional. Broken, breakable jars of clay. If you were to go back and read Judges chapter 7, you're probably thinking, well, that's a jump, isn't it, from 2 Corinthians. Do you remember a guy named Gideon? How many of you remember Gideon? Even if you don't, put your hand up. That way you won't be embarrassed by your neighbors. You've heard of Gideon. He was one of those people that were called judges. In Judges chapter 7, we read about Gideon. Gideon was chosen by God at a, at a certain time because the, the people of Israel were, were in this cycle of rebelling against God, and so God will, would allow them to be oppressed by these various people groups who lived in the regions around them. And at this certain time, there were these people called the Midianites, and they were oppressing the people of Israel. And Israel was crying out to God, Oh God, you need to save us from the Midianites. And so an angel of the Lord shows up one day and, and appears to Gideon and says, You are God's guy. That's a paraphrase, but that's essentially what he said. And Gideon was, me? Really? Okay. So God has Gideon to, to round up all these uh, men who could go to war against the Midianites. And the first thing God does is to reduce the fighting number from 32,000 to 300. That's a story in itself, but we won't get caught up in that part today. So God has these 300 guys who are going to go up against all these Midianites, and here's what he tells them to do. He instructs Gideon, he says, have them gather, you're going to take trumpets, and you're going to take torches, and you're going to take those torches and you're going to put them inside of clay pitchers. And so they all get ready and they go around the camp of the Midianites at night. And once they have surrounded the camp of the Midianites, all at once they shout and they blow the trumpets and they break the pitchers, which allows the light to shine. And it throws the Midianite camp into confusion and they start attacking one another and they flee. And the end of the story is that God's people are... Uh, are, are free from oppression from the Midianites, has, and God has done this powerful work. Now, I want you to imagine, I'm, I'm asking you to imagine a lot this morning. I hope you're up for it. Imagine, if you would, that one of these uh, Israelite men goes home to his wife and is telling her the story of what happened, okay? Guys, you like to do that when something great happens in your day, and you go home and you, you want to you tell someone, right? 
And so he goes home and he says, Dear, you wouldn't believe what happened. I mean, we, there was just 300 of us, and, and we, we surrounded the camp, and we blew our trumpets, and, and, we, and we had torches, and, and, and Gideon had told us that we, we needed pictures, and so I took that picture off the man, picture off the mantle. I keep saying picture, don't I? Picture, P-I-T-C-H-E-R, the, the picture, and, and I took it, and I had, it, had the torch in it, and when he said it, and I broke the, broke the picture, and the wife interrupts and says, you did what to my picture? Well, we broke it. That's what, that's what, what do you mean you broke my picture? You can picture, the, now this is hypothetical, okay? Be, be cautious, be, be warned, I'm telling you something that is hypothetical. This is not in the Bible. And I'm just suggesting that to you that this is a conversation that could have taken place. And some of you married guys are going, yep. The wife, and it's just not a wife thing, okay? See, the human tendency is, you broke my picture. But the message is, yes. But don't miss the point. Because it was in the breaking of the picture that God did this powerful work of deliverance. And that's the real story, isn't it? You see, Paul is conveying that kind of message to the church. That God has taken this beautiful thing called the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ, His coming, His death to, to pay for our sin, His resurrection that grants to us the promise of life now and always. He has given us that message and He has put it in something like a clay jar, an earthen vessel that is worthy to be broken so that the message can shine. And Paul does not want the church to miss the importance of that. If the messenger is seen to be anything more than a simple earthen vessel, we have put the priority and the value in the wrong place. Now, Paul has this, and we think, well, how does he go on with this ministry? Listen to what he, he describes in verses 8 and 9. And, and remember, when Paul writes this, it, it, is a, it is a stressed, strained relationship. And Paul is, he, he's writing, I mean, things are, you know, things are still healing between him and the, con the Corinthian congregation. And he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How in the world does Paul keep going in a ministry day after day when, when those are the things that describe his experience? This is not Paul with everything hunky-dory in the church. This is not Paul writing to the Thessalonian believers where everything is fine and roses. You know, this is a strained relationship. And you think, how in the world does Paul keep going like that? And the answer is, it's all about his attitude. 
It's all about the way he perceives himself in relation to God's calling upon his life and his ministry. Listen to what he says in verse 10 and verse 11. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. See, he, he looks at himself and physically I am a manifestation of Christ's death so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And you see, this is reflective of Paul's attitude. What kind of attitude, you say, is that? I share this verse with you all so frequently, but it is so descriptive of Paul's attitude. Go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Just mark it. You can go read it later. I'm going to tell you what it says. Paul says there, For I have been crucified with Christ. Think about the power of those words. I have been crucified, put to death with Christ. And the life that I now live, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live. It's not about I. It's not about me. It's about the one who died and gave himself for me. You see, that's the attitude that helps Paul to navigate the difficult times of ministry. It's the same kind of attitude that he recommends in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, as he goes into that beautiful Christ hymn where he says to the church, let this same mind be in you as was in Christ Jesus, who although he, was, he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. A Christ being God himself took all of that divinity, all that honor, all of that position, set it aside so that he could take on human flesh and come to earth. That's humility. And Paul says, let that mind be at work in you. You see, if you, if you talk to the Apostle Paul, you, he would admit to you that you would be talking to a dead man. I, see, I've, he's, he would say to you, I've died. What can they do to a dead man? I've already died. It's Christ alive in me. So it's not about me, it's all about him. You see, that's the attitude that gets him through. And you think, well, what, what is it that allows him to even have that attitude? Does Paul not, you know, does he, do these troubles not, not bother him? Has he just somehow found a way to anesthetize himself to, uh, to all the pain and the struggle? And the answer to that is, no, not really. That's, that's not the, the case. The, the, the thing that Paul has done to enable this is that he has set his sight on something better. We touched on this last week out of Romans 8. And once again, it's a theme that you're going to keep finding. It keeps rising up in Paul's writings. Paul goes on in, in verse 13, and you're going to, you're going to find you know, in, in these last verses... Paul has this, you know, it's all for your sakes kind of attitude. It's not about me. And he keeps referring to these things like in verse 14 where he says that, uh, that God who raised Jesus from the, from the dead will also uh, raise us along with, with Jesus. He, he will. He looks to the future. 
um, verse 16, though we are, you know, our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day, day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And so we look at the things which are, uh, not, not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, it's not that Paul is looking nowhere. He's looking somewhere else. He's looking into the future. His anchor is out there in a future glory that so far outweighs any of the struggle of today that he says, I can handle this. I can handle this because I know what's waiting on me. And if I know what's waiting on me, that's the thing that gets me through. I was reminded of a message that Carol Miracle brought to us a good number of months ago. And See, I have my notes written right here in my Bible. And the way she put it that day was that we need to eternalize our focus. I'm still not sure that eternalize is a word, but we're going to use it as one today. Eternalize your focus. You see, that's what Paul did. It's not about the here and now. It's not about the things of this world which are soon going to pass away. It's about eternity. It's about God's glory. It's about our future hope. It's all about the kingdom. And he keeps himself so laser-focused on that that the, the temporary struggles of this world are all kept in perspective. That's what helps Paul to drive through But we have to be able to have that mentality, that, that, that ability to look at either ourselves or those around us and say, you know what, it, it's, we're just clay jars. We're just jars of clay. We're not the ones who are supposed to be getting the glory. Christ is the one who is supposed to get the glory. It's all about Him. And yes, I know that, you know, we... We like honor and we like recognition and, and we like gratitude and we, we, we enjoy those kinds of things. And I'm not saying that those things are never important. But we really have to watch that we don't lose Paul's mindset. That we are nothing more than a, tre a, a jar of clay into which God has put the value of the gospel. Let me ask you this question. Would you be willing to trade all of the accolades, the pats on the back, uh, the awards, the recognitions, all of those things that come in this life, would you be willing to trade all of them for the sure promise that one day you will stand before your Maker and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Would that be enough to say, uh, forget about all the earthly awards? You see, that's Paul's attitude. I don't care what happens, you know. I don't need you all to like me here. I don't need you all to lift me up here. I just want to stand before God someday and have Him tell me, 
that I served him well. And that's enough. Let me give Paul the final word on this. You can turn with me, if you'd like, back to 1 Corinthians. Because I want you to see even there, as Paul writes these words that reflect uh, his situation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, these are the words that Paul writes to the church. First Corinthians 2, verse, beginning at verse 1. Paul says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words or wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, and you could add in parentheses, or on the honor, on the glory, on the strength, on the impressiveness, on, on any of that, so that it would not rest on any of that of man, but that it would rest only on the power and the glory of God, period. Look around you. Really, I mean, you all are so polite. You're, you're trying to do it in, in a very subtle way, like cutting, cutting your eyes just a little bit. Do you, know what, do you know what you see around you? Clay jars. People in front of you, in back of you, beside of you, clay jars. The person standing at the pulpit today, just a clay jar. Friends bringing the music today, leading us, clay jars. That's it. Why is that important? Because if we are anything more than that, then Christ fails to get the glory. Let's not be the people who keep Christ from getting the glory from one clay jar to another. Let's minister for the gospel, for his glory and his glory alone. Pray with me. Father, out of your great love, you have redeemed us. You brought us from place of darkness and into the kingdom of your glorious light you've granted to us the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ his great love for us and father we have such a propensity to get confused and get things out of order Lord in your mercy please forgive us help us Lord to have no other mind than the mind of Christ to have no other spirit except your spirit that perfectly resonates with your will and your calling. 
Father, for the ways that we have failed you by failing to be the church of your claiming, forgive us. Heal us, use us, and help us, God, to look forward to that day when we stand around your throne, casting our crowns before you in praise and honor. Father, we give to you that praise today. We do it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.